Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the All Things Strength and Wellness Podcast. I am your host, as always, Robbie Burke. And before we get into today's show, I just want to give a shout out to all of our show sponsors. Firstly, upmentorship.com, which is one of the top strength and conditioning resources available online today. The Ultimate Performance Mentorship is 20 hours of top class online video strength and conditioning information available for instant access right at your fingertips. To find out more, head over to upmentorship.com, which is linked up in the show notes. Check it out and help support the show. Secondly, I want to give a shout out to Altus360 and the Altus Foundation Coaching Course, which are two outstanding online resources for any practitioner in the sports preparation profession. Be sure to head over to the show notes and check out these unique platforms. Thirdly, I want to give a huge shout out to Yosef Johnson at Ultimate Athlete Concepts. Ultimate Athlete Concepts is a multifaceted company providing the most sophisticated scientific material in sports science. Ultimate Athlete Concepts is the world's leading resource for translated sports preparation educational material. Next, I want to give a shout out to Papi's National Sports Performance Association, which is an online certification platform for professionals within the sports preparation profession. Currently, the NSPA has four certifications available. Speed and Agility, delivered by Lee Taft. Olympic Weightlifting, delivered by Will Fleming. Nutrition, delivered by Dr. Chris Moore. And Program Design, delivered by Coach Robert Dos Remedios. For more information on the NSPA, be sure to check out all the links in the show notes. Finally, I want to thank another brainchild of Pat Beast, Athletes Acceleration, which is another online medium that delivers excellent continuing educational resources for strength and conditioning professionals. And just like with all of our other sponsors, you can check out the show notes to get links to all the available products that Athletes Acceleration has to offer. A full disclosure, except for Altus 360 and the Altus Foundation coaching course, I am an affiliate to all of the show sponsors. Lastly, before today's interview, I just wanted to let all listeners know that the podcast is now on Patreon. If you feel like you are in a position to support the show, I would truly appreciate any donations you would be willing to make to help support the podcast. Okay, that's enough rambling. Let's get into today's interview. On this episode, Davison is back on, baby. On this episode, Pat and I discuss many things, including what's new with Pat. Pat shares with us how his talk at the PRI Interdisciplinary Integration Symposium went and what he took away from Philip Beach's presentation at the same symposium. Pat and I discuss rest postures, polyvagal theory, and sleep. I discuss with Pat how a lack of movement variability can lead to a decrease in overall robustness, which can increase injury risk, and also how a lack of movement variability can decrease movement affordances, which will inhibit skill acquisition and motor learning. Pat shares with us how the Reckoning 2 with Dr. Ben House at Mike Ranfones went. Pat and I discuss motivation, drive, and self-worth. Pat discusses how our modern life has decreased our ability to handle allostatic load. Guys, this was an absolutely outstanding episode with Pat. Like every other episode that I've done with Pat so far has been. I hope you really enjoy it. Davidson. We are recording, we are live, and as always, I am so fucking excited to talk to you, Sally. Just for the listeners, yesterday we were on Facebook Messenger, and he goes, 
want to do a podcast tomorrow. I'm like, absolutely. So we have a hard stop at 10 a.m. his time, 3 p.m. my time. But without question, for the next 51 minutes or however long we got, the, no matter what we're going to talk about, people are going to be curious and want to know. So what I was saying to you offline was let's catch up on where you are lately. Uh, I'll try and keep you constrained on that because I know you can go on. But I want you to talk about your talk of PRI. You recently just came off this weekend from Reckoning 2 with the legend that is Ben House, who I hope you're going to get on the OPEX podcast um, and do a three-way conversation with you and Ben. So we're going to talk about PRI, Reckoning 2. Let us know what's going on with Mass 3, maybe. And also, mm-hmm. you've got a big weekend this weekend coming up with my man, Joel Jameson, who I know very well. Got to spend some great time with him last year. And we've got Stu, McMill coming, or Stu, uh, Stu McGill then on the Sunday. I've interviewed Stu, Stu before, absolute gent. So... Davison, catch us up, fill us in, and then let's get rocking and rolling. Well, Robbie, as always, it's a pleasure for you to be able to talk to me. Um, you know, <laughs> I like how you that in your bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I'm just in the middle of, like, the craziest grind that I've ever been in. More than China? Uh, more, more than China last year? Remember, last year? Last I, year. I, would, I would say so, just mm. simply because, like, you know, China was was interesting because I, I, you know, I went over there, I got back, and then like literally the next weekend was reckoning one. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's that's tough. But this is literally for me four straight weekends in a row of like pretty good sized pressure packed types of presentations. You know, it started with um, the PRI interdisciplinary integration symposium three weeks ago. <clears throat> then to, the following to the beach. Got to tell me about him. Oh, yeah, he's such a great guy. Um, we'll get into that. So, yeah, like, uh, so started off with PRI. The next weekend was in New York City. I was doing a uh, two-day with Sean Light, who was, um, you know, he's been a strength and conditioning coach with the L.A. Lakers and the Arizona Diamondbacks. And he's just a really great guy who I was super impressed by his, you know, there's a lot of people that just have good information but aren't necessarily engaging public speakers. Yeah. But Sean is a stud when he gets up in front of people and starts delivering his message. <clears throat> so that was that was week two. And then um, <clears throat> this past weekend was Reckoning 2 with Ben House and I uh, going up to Mike Ranfone's place. And I th- it was a hell of a weekend. It really was. Um, <clears throat> and then this weekend coming up is going to be back in New York City with myself, Joel Jamison, and Stu McGill. So I'm really looking forward to um, to kind of capping this thing off and 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 having a little bit of a of a break after that. You know, I think I've I've learned my lesson here. Like uh, four weekends in a row of presenting is is excessive. Uh, there's there's a degree of fatigue that that comes from mm-hmm. doing these things, and I didn't really know it before doing something like this. But now, now I, I really understand. Yeah, I heard you on Mike Robson podcast. You were saying that Boyle, Mike Boyle was saying that, you know, before you're 40, say yes to everything. And I was like, that will probably run itself pretty dry soon when you're, like, going to, like, all these places across the world and, like, all these seminars. Because you can get fatigue and retirement, too, without question. Just, you yeah. know, did you, did you get a um, venue sorted out for Australia? Because on your website, it has you down for Australia, but it's, like, to be announced in terms of venues. Did you get that sorted? That's probably going to be something that's going to get pushed to the winter for, for our time and their summer. Oh, so yeah. uh, most likely it'll be uh, – I'm trying to make it after the NFL football postseason wraps mm-hmm. up. So I'm hoping for second week of February or maybe third. Um, you can see my priorities. 
Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah, of course, of course. You know, I got to see Tommy make it to another Super Bowl and uh, dash the hopes of some other city. There's a certain, um, uh, something something you said you needed to mention to me, something to do about the Patriots that you never really talk about on any of our episodes. What was it again? There was a a certain play against the Seahawks. Oh, you know, know, I I just, I I like pointing out that great coaching is all about the details, thinking everything through to the... (laughs) ultimate level and, and you got a guy like Belichick and Malcolm Butler intercepts that ball and what do you know they actually practice that <laughs> sucks to be a Seahawk anyways uh that's the first time I've ever brought that up with you never I know per- perceptive of you Robbie you know you, that's um that's great stuff that's what we call podcast magic and, Absolutely. Uh, and lis- listeners love it so Kavir uh, I was going to also ask um Hype Jim that's your new how long have you been in Hype Jim so Hype, Hype Gym has two locations in New York City, and the second location that they opened is the one that, that I'm at, which mm. is in Union Square, which is like a big hub in, in the city. And um, that facility has been open since October, and, and I was really right in there right as soon as that thing opened. I have a, a really good friend in the city, um, Marcos Rodriguez, and, um, and I'll tell you what, like I would love for you to meet this guy at some point because – you talk about a witty ball buster. This guy takes the cake over pretty much anybody I've ever met. Like just an absolutely amazing human being in terms of how quickly he can put you in your place. Uh, so, uh, but, but he, he kind of like um, let a few of us know, like, listen, like there's, there's going to be a really nice place that's going to be opening up with like great people managing it. And, uh, and that's a rarity in New York. You know, you have to kind of watch out for snakes and, and people that are going to try to take advantage of you and crap facilities and, and broken promises and that whole deal. So uh, he, he was right. Like the, the guys at Hype that run that thing and like you got Nick Johnson as the, the guy that's primarily managing it. I just I couldn't be happier. I mean, it's made the biggest difference in my life being here from a, you know, just being being overall happy on a daily basis um, of anything that I've been involved with since I've been in New York. So um yeah, it's been it's been a huge, huge upgrade for me over everything else in my stay in New York. That's great. That's so savage. I love hearing stuff like that. That's great. I like it. Um, so I've just made out four points here. PRI, your talk at uh, the PRI. <laughs> so that was their integration. Um, and let it me, was. And also to fill us in on this Philip Beach. Because uh, I originally heard, I've heard of Philip Beach back in the end of 2015 or 16 Anna Hartman did an in-service at my boys training edition and it was put up on the body by boil um, website and I, I'm, a, I'm on that and she was she was saying that she was you know very influenced by Philip Beach he's from New Zealand is he that where he's from he is yeah, yeah he's originally from Australia but now is in New Zealand oh and you know he's he's got a book um muscles and meridians yeah, yeah. and I I just picked that thing up so I'm I'm looking forward to going into that in more detail and spending some more time with it. But, you know, it's, it, it's, it's almost like if you're watching sports and you see a tremendous athlete and even during their warmups, it's like that person moves a little bit differently. They're so mm. fluid. They're so mm. incredible. Like, you know, they're a superstar before you even see them in the game. And then the game confirms it. You're like, wow, that is, that's the real deal right there. And, and that's how I felt with Phillip beach where, you know, it's, it's like the minute that, that some people start talking, you're like, this is a master. This is someone that possesses a level of depth and breadth of knowledge that is 
truly awe-inspiring. And, and I mean, he talked about a tremendous number of topics, uh, ranging from like examining the way that human embryos develop and, Mm -hmm. and kind of unfold and, and the ways that you can match like, uh, the dermatomes with the directionality, like, you know, essentially going from like fish to lizards, you know, quadrupeds with spines to mammals, to apes, to, uh, bipedal humans and, and kind of almost tracking that through an embryo and, and just pointing out which muscle groups tend to work together in contractile fields is, is, was part of what he talked about. Um, and I'm, I'm not doing this any sort of justice Mm -hmm. because it's, it's a lot of, of like big time, (laughs) fairly difficult to understand scientific information. It's almost like, you know, if you've read some of those opening chapters of anatomy trains and it goes into the different levels of fascia, um, in terms of like, you know, the, the CNS and the skin kind of being on, on similar, uh, you know, in the same region of, of the fascia, uh, and the gut and the brain kind of being in the same thing and, and all that sort of stuff. Like, I think that that would be like a, a good intro to prep you for some of the stuff that Philip Beach is going to talk about. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I would say that he takes it to a whole other level on, on that front. But, um, you know, the other, the other major realm that he talked about that I found tremendously interesting was examining the archetypal positions of rest that, species go to yeah you know essentially like uh species need to go to the ground in order to be able to rest everybody needs to sleep um and and we could probably spend five podcasts just talking purely nothing about nothing else except for sleep and we will wanted to yeah i i believe (laughs) uh, not to get ahead of ourselves here but that that'll be coming but you know what are the actual positions that animals assume um not just the the physiological effects and brain waves and ATP resynthesis and the cortex and all that kind of good stuff, but examining the actual mechanics and biomechanics and mm. uh, positional arrangements relative to one another uh, when you go to the ground. And and it's not all just sleep; it's also just rest. You know, just uh, b- between the activity bouts. And um, you know, there's there's a variety of of not just stereotypical positions for for all species, but archetypal. And I like that word archetype because it's really demonstrative of, hey, we have typical positions, but there's a best case way to actually see these things performed. Mm. And how close you are to the archetype is probably a good indicator for for how well you're doing. And um, so he has like seated positions, kneeling positions, supine, side-lying, prone, um, all the all the big hitters that you would expect for humans to be able to rest in. And then the question is, like, for all of these different potential kneeling positions that you can get into, how close are you to the best-case scenario? And and that best-case scenario has specific arrangements of the joints and also this, this how long can you stay there comfortably? And, um, you know, to me that was an enormous eye-opening thought because – I've just spent so much time trying to examine the archetype for training-based movements and, you know, how many different sorts of positions can you get into and directions can you move through from a training movement perspective. But this is essentially the mirror image of that. Mm-hmm. And, and I think Beach even makes that point really, really 
profoundly where it's like, you know, if, if you're not thinking like it's, it's, it's almost preposterous if you're spending all this time thinking about movement and activity, like if you haven't considered the rest, like contrast with that, like, what are you doing? Wouldn't you think that would be equally important? And that kind of hit me like a sledgehammer. Um, and, and just the fact that, that you can actually sort of grade this stuff, qualify it and grade it, uh, to me is big because it gives people like, if you don't give someone a score or a measurement, they have no incentive to, to really do something or try to continue to do something or get better at it. Hence, you know, we, hence, we are, your, hence your mission with the power unit. Absolutely. You know, it's, if I want to influence behavioral change, probably my biggest hammer to be able to accomplish that is, is measuring things and giving you a score. Um, so I, I want to be better at coming to rest. Like I suck at it. Like I can see what my score is very quickly the worst. Like I can't get into any of these positions and I can't be comfortable for any period of time. Um, so it's like, well, I, I definitely don't want to be the worst guy in the world at this stuff. I want to get better. And, and I can see the value in it. Like he, he made a very strong case in terms of physiological, uh, benefits that come from this and, and range of motion and movement capabilities and all that sort of stuff. I mean, again, the, the depth that, that he brought to his talks was, was considerable and very impressive. And, and made a lasting impression on me. And, and also just from, a, from the standpoint of like uh, someone that brings like a quiet humility uh, to, to their presence and the way that they conduct themselves, like yeah. that, that's this guy. And it's, like he also lives it. Like this guy lives it 100%. Mm. Like, um, you know, he constructed his kitchen floor so that it was built, basically a built-in rock match. Rocks, yeah, and, rock match, yeah. Yeah, and not like a wimpy one, not like, you know, like he actually went out and gathered the rocks from like his, around his house and put them in there, and he was he was showing it and he's like, oh yeah, that's the rock that oftentimes cuts people and there's a lot of blood on that one, but um, in in essence it was almost like, you know, he talked a lot about choice and and it fit beautifully in with with my presentation and and just taking choice away from people, like if you want to have breakfast and coffee in the morning at his house, you've got to walk barefoot across the rocks and. You know, there's no furniture. You have to sit on the ground. You have to kind of come to rest on the ground uh, because you wouldn't have had this choice for the previous, you know, two million years of hunting and gathering uh, of ancestry that our species went through. And you're probably a lot better off without these choices uh, of being able to select from the comfortable chair or the comfortable couch or the recliner or whatever else would be offered up to you. So. I, I really I, I loved what he had to say, and um, did you, you know I wish did, he was a little bit closer. I'd like to mentor under that guy. Yeah, did you? Uh, fuck it, let's let's me and you book off a few weeks. Some stage we'll fly over and have a crack with him and do some sitting in these I, in these. Postures. I'll tell you what. Yeah, I think it would be torture in some ways, especially for me. Like, I think you might be able to get into some of those positions a little bit easier. Could you? Could I, you? Could you get into the Japanese tosa? Not even remotely. I mean, that was painful the first time, isn't it? I can't even come close to it. Like I, you know, uh, my presentation for PRI and and reckoning Two went into evolution and, and talking about differences in anatomy between chimps and humans. And I, I broke those anatomical differences into three categories of feet, pelvis and spine. Nice. And, um, if you look at the feet of a chimp versus the feet of a human, like chimps have big toes that are at an oblique angle, almost Mm. like a thumb on a hand is a big toe 
on the foot of a chimp. But they also, like, their metatarsophalangeal joints are a different shape than ours, and it prevents them from being able to hyperextend their toes. And um, I feel like I'm just so chimp-like in many ways, but, you know, I've got such limited hyperextension of my toes, and in particular my big toe, that I literally, it's, it's like I can't even get 5% into that, that position. Like, it's excruciating. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, but, you know, I, I, I kind of build build myself some structures to try to work getting into that position. And, you know, I got to tell you all my typical sort of chronic aches and pains that come from being a moron, um, you know, that just likes to lift weights on a daily basis, you know, in ridiculous ways. Uh, I feel much better, like, like building, like just putting, forcing myself into these positions and, and dealing with them. Yeah. It's made a it's made a big difference. So uh, I was saying to you, like Anna Hartman covered all that in her presentation of Boyle's. Um, so uh, I, I've, I've never seen Philip himself, but like a lot of what you're talking about, she covered. So like she introduced the rock mat. Mike Boyle made himself an own rock mat, and he was saying when he started, he started standing on that at home, like while he was in the bathroom and sinking. He said he felt it really helped his his back as well. But just in terms of uh, like sleep sleeping in terms of the positions we take up that's what i've always been fascinated with because in my mind i was always like think about it right we we go unconscious and we unweight ourselves from gravity like we have to do like our mm-hmm. body forces it is like what what is it about that like it's unweight ourselves away because that you, and you probably have looked into this more than me that's one of the trade-offs we have made going bipedal is we have put more stress on our joints going bipedal because of the vertical forces like the more wear and tear like like you know, like our low backs and our spines and our knees and our, our ankles, like so. Like obviously, then with our with our sleep and rest postures, like quadrupeds get into. That's why we have to get back down to the ground probably to to give us some relief. And just a note I made here, and obviously we spoke a lot about Steve Porges and polyvagal theory. There there must be some sort of like carryover into that and getting these positions back to parasympathetic state and back into like polyvagal theory. You know what I mean? Or, you know, spending yeah. more time in, in that sort of realm. So. Well, yeah, I mean, he even talked a little bit about how basically if you look at every rest position that you can find, they're, they're primarily from a sagittal plane perspective, a flexion dominant position yeah. that you're going to get into. And, um, you know, he calls uh, he just thinks it's super important as as humans or really any other species. He actually detailed giraffes in a lot of ways is it's like it's super dangerous for giraffes to go to the ground and rest. Mm. And from an evolutionary perspective, they've evolved to where they only require about an hour uh, or up to maybe two hours of sleep per day. Um, So, but it takes them, it is a enormous challenge for a giraffe to be able to get up off the ground after it's gone to the ground. Um, But, you know, he calls it erector size, uh, this, this act of being able to, return back to a standing position from, from the ground and from rest and just how important it is and how many different positions it puts your joints into and how many muscles you have to use and, and really how authentic it is. So, uh, yeah, I think that from like a, like if, you know, the more you get into brain stuff, the more you realize how, how dominant position is. And, um, you know, I, I can remember reading some stuff that Eric Otter suggested on split brain, Patients like the old, like uh, Michael Gazanaga or Gazanaga, I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce his name, and um, Sperry, those guys that that were looking at what happens when you cut the corpus callosum on patients, and and they essentially have free freewheeling left and right hemispheres, and Mm -hmm. you know you you try to see what each hemisphere actually knows, 
So they tried to rig up all these experiments of like, hey, you're only going to be able to see information with purely your left eye and your right eye. And it's really hard to do that because literally if you give them any ability to move their head, they're automatically going to get the information across to the other side of their brain. And, and like they were just they kept using this word position over and over again and how position drives neural behavior. And, and I just think they were talking about it from the perspective of a visual system yeah. and trying to segregate information on one side of the brain versus the other. But in terms of like like a polyvagal perspective or any of those things, like we're talking about a lot of this information coming from the gut and the positions that the thorax would be in. And, you know, I, I was also thinking from, from polyvagal, like how much of your uh, emotional state is made up of your, by your facial muscle expression. Mm. You know, the positions that we put our face into and the muscles that we use to create those positions are telling your brain what it should determine as your emotional state after the fact. And, um, and the emotional state is really this combo of facial muscle activation and position that your face is being put into in conjunction with the, the feedback from the gut. And I'm, I'm sure that the positions that your thorax assumes, uh, whether flexed, extended, rib cages, internally rotated, externally rotated, elevated, depressed, abducted, adducted, that probably is giving you so much information uh, from an afferent standpoint to the brain, giving your brain an indication of what the internal state is. Okay. Um, and we need to be, like you, you mentioned a lot, like from Alan Watts, like opposition is really what allows you to know anything. So if, if your brain doesn't know extension, it can't possibly know flexion, and mm. it makes these determinations from a pattern recognition standpoint of what those positions mean from an environmental signal and from a behavioral signal and, and all those kinds of things. So it's, it's, it's really, I think, so important to, to just recognize, like, you know, like you're, you as an organism are probably genetically hardwired to assume certain positions. Like these are things that are critical for survival. Beach even went into like, hey, what's the point of a lot of these positions? Like, you know, some of these positions are ones that you have to get into to examine the bottoms of your feet to see like if you stepped in something that's a problem, so remove it from your foot. Or, you know, you have to be able to protect this body part by resting in this position. And those are probably signals. Everything's an, an environmental signal that's being recognized by communication systems inside your body, whether that be the gut, the fascial system, the nervous system, or the genetic DNA. You know, it, it, it's, it's signals that cause responses. And to me, it's, it's sort of like once that signal is not provided anymore, it's another kind of signal. It's probably a bad signal. It's a counterproductive signal that, that starts to have your, your body go into other sorts of responses. Um, you know, th those are the sorts of takeaways that I get from, from listening to somebody like Beach speak. And, and I think it just is like you get these profound sort of major paradigm shifting experiences from, from someone like that. And that's, that's worth its weight in gold. That's what, I, that's what I'm here for. Ooh, I just had a fucking serious brain dump there as you were talking. Just like a lot of teams connected, so just going on some of that. When I took F4C last year, right, the one abiding thing that I came away from was that there is parts of my body that I am completely deaf to. Like I have mm. no I have no sensation of where that part of my body is in time or space. 
And that makes me think then that I have less variability, which equals less robustness and resiliency, which then now, because I'm so heavy into skill acquisition, I'm on my fifth skill acquisition book at the moment, just because I'm going I'm going to that module at college at the moment, but just I'm finding the, the topic so fascinating. But like with skill acquisition, right, that's going to lead me then to have less movement solutions, which will then which which will then lead me to less affordances, which will mean that I'll be more stressed when presented with a with a movement issue because I don't have as many solutions available to me as possible because I can't get into these certain positions because I'm a fucking idiot on a day to day basis that I don't move enough, and it's just so the re- the reason that kind of nearly popped in my head there was when you said something's in your foot like. My dad can't put his fucking socks on me. Like, when's the last time? <laughs> when's the last time he saw the bottom of his foot? Like, like that is just from an evolutionary standpoint. That is not healthy, man. Dangerous, yeah. Oh, dangerous is is the fucking word. And going back then to what you just said about Beach's house, because uh, fucking um, oh, fucking 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 fucking. Jeez, her name's <laughs> gonna, her name's gonna make bleeding head there. Uh, Anna, Anna Hartman. Anna Hartman. Yeah, sorry. Anna Hartman, uh, she, her her setup where she lives is the same. Like she's always sitting on the ground, and like so. Just going back to what you said, like we we have to like purposely set up our environment nowadays to like make sure that it forces us to have to get into these positions, you know. And again, this goes back then to the power of habit then, and like yes. s- setting up behaviors that they become habits, and then obviously using dopamine then as a in a ben, in a be, beneficial way to reinforce these good habits you know so again as we spoke about like the addict brain can actually be extremely beneficial if used in a productive manner so you Completely. see you can just see the fucking brain of i just had there in the last five to seven minutes yep. connecting dots man it's what i do that's why they call me the irish connector <laughs> sound, like, sound like some sort of drug lord i do the irish connector <laughs> yeah you're running guns or something like <laughs> so come here before we run out of time oh man we can yeah. just we can speak all that and and i am on the ground right now i want to throw that out there like i've i am trying to make this shift in my own life and and it's just a habit it literally is i just i'm sitting next to my couch i eat dinner next to my couch you know my wife at this point realizes that i'm completely insane so she's fine with it yeah it's yeah. just like another thing that my crazy husband is doing like I send it. He goes off to these things. He comes back with another weird thing. Man, do you do you two plan on having kids? Because what's going to happen is you're going to have kids, and then you're going to get deep into like study uh, on like child development, everything to do with child development. And then you're probably going to get go down the fucking vaccine route, and then you're just going to go into like all nutrition and psychological, mental development, and like it's just me. I just I just hope your wife's prepared for that. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, we're definitely planning on having kids, so we'll we'll see what happens on that front, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, trust me, I've already been ahead of that. Like I'm, I've been going through different college courses on like, uh, uh, de- like early development yeah, and, yeah. and all that sort of stuff. It's, I think it's super interesting because, <clears throat> you know, I, I was going through it in a large part from, uh, like that topic of Jacksonian dissolution, um, where, you know, you add stress to the equation and the most modern adaptations of a species cease to be able to function appropriately. And you have to go backwards to older things. And I just see it with like personal training clients. Like, you know, you add stress to them with exercise and they get all fired up and they yeah. get real sympathetic and they get aggressive and they say things they wouldn't normally say. And it's great. They, isn't it? It's great. And then they, yeah, they start acting like toddlers after that. And it's, it's just like weird stuff. So if I, if I really want to know how to like interact with them when they're in toddler mode, I should probably know a thing or two about the psychological profile and behavioral characteristics of, three-year-olds 
So uh, yeah, it's 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 super interesting. And I I tried to uh, I tr- I did a Google search on that on Jack's, Jacksonian solutions. I was trying to make sure I was spelling it right and getting it right. Yep. One of the show notes. I couldn't fucking find anything on it. I just kept going back to Andrew Jackson, the president. Oh really? Like, the uh, the guy's name was John Hewlings Jackson. Okay. Um, and uh, he's considered to be the father of English uh, neurobiology. And I think he he lived in that time period of like maybe like. 1850 to 1910 or something like that. Sweet. So come here. You you let me down. You, you let me down with the spray pants. Where the fuck were they for reckoning to? It was hot, man. Like, <laughs> you know, I get in there and I'm like trying to express. Like I'm telling you, like I'm like, dude, it's so hot in here. And people are like, no, it's not. It's ran phones. It's always cold in here. I'm like, you guys are soft. All hey, right, before like, before you go on, I gotta tell you something. Just you won't find it weird, but just for the listeners, for whatever reason, I've never met Mike Manfrotto, Mike Manfrotto, or even spoken to him. But there's a song by by uh, Kings of Leon, and it's called Raz, like it's Raz the Kid, and they and like the little chorus, and it goes like Raz the Kid. And for whatever for 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 whatever reason, for whatever reason, and Mike Manfrotto, if you listen to this, I promise I'm not a psychopath. But I keep singing his name, his name. I keep going Mike Manfrotto, and I don't know why. Mike, he's definitely a psychopath. Like, like, <laughs> oh, man. I don't know why. They're like cooking my dinner. I'm like, my, I was like, my friend found new that Irish guy was singing his song to a Kings of Leon tune. He'd be like, what the fuck is going on? Nah, he'd be fine with that, man. Ranfone's, if he's listening, I think he is listening. He's a total weirdo anyway, so he's he'll be fine with it. He's he's in our he's in our club. He's in the no homework club. Oh, so. <laughs> dude, he's one hundred. He's like the captain of it. Yeah, so I love it. I love it. All right, get into reckoning two. What did yep. you what what did you discuss? Uh, were you happy with your presentation? Uh, get into how's Ben? How's the whole? Did you meet how Zach Couples? You met up with Zach and my friend Jordan Khrushchev was there. Uh, yeah, Khrushchev, great guy. Jordan interned with him at all. But anyway, we got twenty one minutes. Take it away, my man. man. Like, Reckoning 2, I think, was just awesome. Like, I had such a good time. Reckoning 2 kind of felt like a party. and um, it, looked, it, looked like, like, it looked like a party with those fucking shorts you had on. Dude, I'll tell you, man. Like, I, I don't know. Like, you know, it was the kind of vibe. Like, when I get comfortable, I get to be more and more myself. Absolutely. Which is a problem for everyone else. Because I am a completely ridiculous human being. There's like almost no boundaries. Like I'm going to swear constantly. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna disagree. I think you are authentic, and everyone else is a ridiculous human being. All right, fine. Well, I'll go with that. That sounds perfect. Thank you for that. <laughs> uh, but anyways, like I, I think that everybody was super relaxed for this one. Um, you know, Ben House crushed his presentation. So good. Like you know, the the dude just put so many peer-reviewed sources into what he talked about. He talked a lot about like hypertrophy science. Like that was, that was most of day one. And, and it was just clutch information. It was like, he just dropped so much information. It's, it's hard to necessarily like recount. Like his his production, his production of the same cross is just, uh, yeah, I'll I'll get in and get it quick. I know that fucking probably drives listeners crazy. It's just, I don't want to forget my thought more short time real quick. But his fucking content production, like the amount of content he puts out, is just outrageous, and it's it is. and it's excellent. It's not like none of it is like crap. Oh, brilliant! Yeah, and and he he really keeps himself honest. He doesn't let himself stretch outside of evidence. Like mm. I think that that I think he's just somebody that like, he, you know, I I told him before, like, you know, it's it's kind of like 
people oftentimes tell me that I'm like raising the bar, whatever the hell that means. And, and it's sort of like, I look at him and if I am attempting to raise the bar, it's because literally I view him as the bar and I'm just trying to catch up. Like I'm, I'm, I'm look. he is relentless. He's always, he's in it for all the right reasons. He's the most authentically caring purely about information with seemingly no like sleazy ulterior motives of anyone I have ever met. Like he's not super motivated by money. You know, he's, he's not motivated necessarily by fame. He's motivated by like putting like, like actually unearthing the truth and disseminating the truth for other humans to have to deal with. I don't even know if he's necessarily super concerned with, uh, you know, whether or not people get it or, or, or how motivated they are to, to necessarily become better. I think he's got his own, whatever his own internal motivations are, whatever they are. And I, I haven't been able to read that poker mm. face. Mm. And, and I almost don't care. It's, it's just that like that dude is not concerned with your opinions or necessarily your feelings regarding information. He's unemotional, I would say, in terms of, of what information means or how to leverage information. He's just concerned with, with what is what are the best scientists who are the most thoughtful amongst us? What are they pulling up in terms of data, yeah. and and potentially what are what does that data mean, and what are the ramifications of that data? He's on and, a he's on he's on a fucking mission and he's crushing it. And just a, yep. a real quick thing is that because of the modern era we live in, Pat, right? He could easily just fucking stayed in America and he, one he could have been a professor just teaching mm-hmm. or or he could have, he could have, like he, he's so intelligent with, with the information he has he could have just stayed at home and uh, just made all his living offline and live a nice comfortable life but he realized that he could contribute so much more to the world and people's lives by doing what he's doing right now down in Costa Rica even from a financial standpoint it isn't as profitable to him in the long run but as you said he's not driven by money and people who have a passion aren't driven by money it's, fulfill- it's the fulfillment of their vocation that they're after but it just strikes me too when a guy called Marcus Philly who who who's speaking with the very same thing in a podcast here? Mark Philly is a three times faster at me, but he has his own facility, and he's like, you know, I could have just wrote online programs, all that, not have to pay rent on a building. He's like, I wouldn't inspire people on a day to day basis. That's what I want, like. So it's the same. Yeah. I can, like people who have that balls to like just fucking go after it is just like it's it's just inspiration. Yeah, you know? it, it really is, and like I, I don't know, like there's there's many ways, like I think we're all looking at each other, and Absolutely. there's like elements of of the other other professionals that you admire in this field that, that like, I think we all, there's, there's gotta be an element of jealousy. There's gotta be an element of, of like, man, I wish I could do this the way that this guy does. Mm. And, and I for sure have that with Ben, you know what I mean? It's kind of like, I'm always checking myself like, man, I'm not, I'm not good enough. I'm not, I'm not producing as accurately as I should in terms of the most up-to-date peer-reviewed information. I'm not working hard enough. I'm not, you know what I mean? I'm not up to snuff. And I, I try not to like, I recognize that in myself. It's sort of like, I want to be as smart as Bill Hartman when it comes to anatomy on the thorax. I want to be as smart as Ben House when it comes to understanding physiological loops, cascades, the like elements of like methylation loops and homocysteine and these kinds of things. And I want to know as much peer reviewed uh, information on, on hypertrophy is I'll never, you know what I mean? And it's at a certain point, like you, you get to this, this thing where you're like, well, shit, I can't be that guy in his realm and I can't be this guy in his realm. 
you know, I have to just be me and I have to be okay with me, you know, and, and I don't think that, at least for me, I can't get to that point until I witness the scope to which these people are knowledgeable in their specific area. And it's like, oh shit, like it's, it's like watching, at least for me, like, like as a fighter, you know, it's like, you're, you're tough. You beat some guys up, You, you know, you're pretty good. And then you see this murderer (laughs) <laughs> and you're like, I will never be that guy. And, uh, and I'm okay with that. Like, yeah. I, I, I realized like where, where certain limitations are. So I think that in part, like he seeing someone like Ben and, and the level of mastery that he brings to the topics that he looks at, it, it's, it's, it's kind of like, I can't have his mastery in his topics and have mastery of that same level in six other topics. You know, like I kind of need to focus on whatever it is that I can be the best master of for me. Yeah. You know, but seeing the the level or the degree that he brings to what he does is is awe-inspiring. Mm. Um, and, you know, like, do you guys have the Dos Equis beer commercials in Ireland? No. No, no you don't what, have what, that. What, what I will say is I don't have a TV in my gaff, so if... if okay. I said, sorry, well, just, just, for the American listeners, gaff means house in Ireland, so I don't have a TV in my house, so even if it is on, I wouldn't see it. They have this whole advertising campaign and it's been on for years and it's like, it's the most interesting man alive. And it's like this Spanish speaking guy and, you know, like he's, he does all these feats, like, like it's, it's a stupid line of commercials, but you know, Ben House to me is the most interesting man alive. Like who, who just is like this, this mastermind PhD in nutrition that has all this, this functional medicine stuff. And at the same time is like a training savage that knows like all the exercise science, hypertrophy information, and then goes completely off the grid and lives in this, this place in Costa Rica and is building this like escape retreat center that like the best and brightest minds are going to be brought to from around the world. And like, uh, I was driving up to, to reckoning too with, uh, with Dave Rasco and he was comparing, like, we're going down there in, in June to his place, and it's going to be a bunch of dudes. There's going to be guys like NBA strength coaches, guys coming out of the IFAST lineage, mm. guys from New York, guys from, from various places that were invited for this one. And it's kind of like Avengers Infinity War, where it's sort of like you're pulling these, like, superheroes from, from different places, and you're bringing all of them together in this one spot for this one gig. And, uh, and that doesn't really happen very often. And, you know, we're all going to be able to, to have, it's not a seminar, you know what I mean? We're going to live together for like 10 days. So that's, that's a whole other level. Holy fuck, that's going to be immense. Yeah. Like sharing and uh, interacting and really getting a sense for who each other are and what everything means and, and experiencing life outside of our typical environment. Yeah. So I, I, I really... That Ben is probably going to be responsible for changing the game more than anybody else that I know. Just, and, just, and just, he's just, just starting out. Yeah, just on like about being authentic there. I know you were saying like you're kind of comparing yourself to Ben. Like, listen, from someone who's traveled around the world, like, and particularly when my last internship at Altus, like, I often joke with people like I spent ten grand to, to to realize that everything I needed to know was already right here within me and in front of me. And, like it's kind of like we we think we need to externalize or do things to show self worth in the world, and we think that we'll get what we're really looking for in life, which is, again is fulfillment. But 
then if we actually realize that if we are just ourselves and authentic, we'll actually we'll actually draw, we'll, we'll actually create the we'll 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 draw someone from the energy that the if, if we're just authentic, the very thing we're looking for will be drawn to us. If you know what I mean. Mm. Because we're yeah. we're actually being ourselves. When you when you are fake or you try to be non authentic or you're trying to impress someone, you actually repel. You actually start to repel people or repel the people that you want to connect with. And then if you're just authentic and you and your own skin, then people it's 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 the feeling that you previously had for yourself. People start to go fuck. I want to be like Robbie and Pat. They just fucking walk to their own drumbeat and walk their own path. Because you mm. start you're starting to be more authentic. Because you need to realize that there's only one you and over only ever will be one you. So while. Well, definitely, I agree. It, it is definitely a worthy thing to look at other people in terms of inspiration. It, it, with the trap, we need to be careful to be careful of falling into is to, to, to think that we need to be them. No, we need to be our. We, we need we can use inspiration from them, but you still gotta strip back all this fucking environment condition you've had from day one to, to get down to the very level and fiber of who you are as a, as a human, as a species, and as a soul on this planet. And it's just all about self, self, self-actualization. It's the whole journey we're on here in life. So, uh, mm. But yeah, like Ben's fucking stuff is, is immense. And listen, I feel the same way like, with some people, you included too. I'm like, fuck, Davidson's so far ahead, man. And that's why I love talking to you too. Because again, look at the brain dump I just had there like 20 minutes ago. <laughs> just just from, an, from an inspiring piece of conversation with you, you know? So it's all fucking great. Yeah, um, I mean, look, like I feel like, like we can always... <laughs> I... I these conversations with you leave me on fire. You know what I mean? They really do. Cause it's sort of like, uh, I get, I, I, I come into the conversation in whatever state I'm in. And, and I always know how much genuine caring you have about this information that we're, we're all looking for and like how much it means to you. And, and that to me is like so reinvigorating and, and that's really like, you know, why would somebody sign up for these like four straight weeks of like delivering con ed and like tra- travel? Cause it, it can be exhausting, but it's because like, Hey, I got to hear Philip Beach speak mm-hmm. and that dude completely reframed my paradigm. Yeah. I got to hear Sean light share a ton of experiences about working in the NBA and working in major league baseball and what actually matters with those athletes in terms of making a difference as a performance-based coach and not being the things that you think is going to matter. And I got to hear this past week, you know, I, I like, cause I like, thankfully I don't have to actually pay for the attendance for these things. You know what I mean? I got to hear Ben house go ham on his topics. And it's kind of like, man, I have, <laughs> I've been reinvigorated. Like once, once the fatigue wears off, like my brain has been exposed to, three straight weeks of incredible information. And oh, by the way, I have McGill and Jameson coming up this weekend for more continuing education. Like that's what I wanted to do with my career was to be able to share some of my stuff with people and then get some of the stuff that the best and brightest amongst us have to offer as well. And, and like, I'm living it like somehow I've managed to actually put myself right where I've always wanted to be. And it's kind of like, I don't know what's what life has in store, but I've made it, you know, (laughs) like that's, that was my goal. Mm -hmm. And I've kind of reached that goal and I'm living it. And it's not to say that's the end point. Like it's, it's, but it's God, it's like, it really is the thing to me that is my source of energy. It is my, my fire. It's what 
continues to like make me want it that much more. And, and, um, you know, that's the same thing I get with you. That's where like, you know, you sent me a message yesterday, like, Hey, you want to do a podcast? And yeah, how about tomorrow? (laughs) Like I'm in, let's do it. Um, uh, I, I actually thought it would be the opposite. I thought you'd be so fucking wrecked. You'd be like, yeah, in a few weeks, you're just like, tomorrow's like, I'm so fucking lukely. Let's do it, man. Yeah, it's fresh. Like, c- keep it rolling. It's almost like like some people from a training perspective, it's like, well, you hit a PR. Let's let's call it a day. That's a good It's a good one. Um, and, and, you know, like, trust me, there's, there's times and places for that. Mm-hmm. Like, if you hit a, a massive PR, I think especially in the – the sprinting world, it's kind of like your body just went someplace. It, it's never gone before. Let's let's uh, let's call it a day before you know we push our luck too far. S- go to sleep. Let your body remember this new state of activity that it actually reached, and so that maybe it can remember how to do that again. And and uh, but look, like if like this is not going to kill me for sure. And the more I can get used to this, of just like this is life. Like there is, I'll remove choice from the equation. Like, like you kind of pointed out, like, hey, Boyle said before you're 40, say yes to everything. I'm literally trying to live that. And you just get used to it. It's no big deal at a certain point, yeah. you know. And, and there's a hell of a lot worse ways to go to, like, make a living. You know what I mean? I've had to work manual labor in some terrible jobs as a younger person. And uh, this is Cupcake City. Like, this is the easiest that, stuff in the that, world. That goes back to Anna Watson and, and contrast. You you wouldn't you wouldn't have the appreciation and love for you right now if you didn't have those previous experiences in those construction sites with those shitty jobs. Because I, I had those experiences too when I was younger and I'd never take them back. No way. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, like, I, I think that the best way to, to finish up today, because we've got about five minutes, is, um, you know, we, we haven't really talked about the stuff that I talked about in Reckoning 2. Just, um, just, just one, it, one thing I want to say just before you uh, I can give you five minutes. Yeah. There's a quote, and I just have to say it because it's just going off the, uh, the top of your head there, being authentic. It's from one of my favorite pieces, my favorite essays from Apple Emerson. And it's, it's probably if someone said, what's one of your favorite quotes? It's, uh, Who's, whoso should be a man must be a nonconformist. I fucking love that sentence. Hmm. And I think, I yeah, think that I, doesn't apply to either of us at all. No, whoso should be a man must be a non yeah yeah non conformist. I mean, don't don't conform. Yeah, I just I love it. I just love it. Yeah. All right, go ahead. Rec- yeah, I mean, recommend two, baby, or go whatever you want to say there. I was just gonna say like you, like you can't really identify what I, at least for me I can't identify or really call what my career is at this point. Yeah. I'm just I'm making it up. I have no idea. I don't know what you call it. It's a it's a new age, man. Like it's not it's we don't live in 1965 anymore where things are just very easily identified. And, you know, I, I feel like uh, my aunt who raised me, like, I think she prepped me for this, this new world very well. Like, she, she switched careers. She, she's been a, a lawyer. She's worked as a nurse. She's switched and become a teacher. She then went and sold antiques on eBay. And she's bred dogs. All of those things have been careers that I've witnessed her go through during her life. And she's done very well in all of them. And all she's done is just adapt to a changing environment. And she's done that as someone that was, you know, like in the baby boomer generation. Like you talk about someone ahead of the curve. Like I, I got to witness that. And, and really just as long as she worked hard and, and studied and examined what was to, what you needed to have for those respective areas, like she's she's done it. And uh, and, you know, like I said, I was going to talk about reckoning, too. And that's probably the best way to do it uh, is is to say like, listen, we are animals that live on this 
this planet that has a changing environment. And if you really look at the, the drivers that set us off on this evolutionary pathway to becoming these upright, bipedal, featherless animals, um, the environment was the primary thing that drove us this way. Mm. Because our common ancestor that we shared with chimps lived in the rainforest of Africa. Unfortunately, during the Ice Age, there was climate change that, that led to drying out of the African environment, along with volcanic activity that created that rift valley that goes right through that East African uh, plain segment. Uh, and, and with those two things combined, there was tremendous recession of the rainforest and the expansion, expansion and opening of the open woodland savanna environment that is the presentation of modern-day Africa. So when you're not able to stay in the rainforest and simply gather fruits, you have to find new ways to be able to gain your calories. And, and that really, like, all of a sudden, like, if you have to traverse long distances to be able to gain calories, it's going to force you. Like, evolution doesn't, cha doesn't act strongly when during plentiful times. It acts strongly when there's tremendous need and when survival is being challenged to a high degree. Constraints, cons constraints baby. Yeah, and I, I believe the same thing is probably true in terms of training-based adaptations. If, if I want to force change, I've, I've got to force it. I've got to basically like ram it down your throat and not give you any choice. And like your, your, your organism probably has to like make these critical decisions, but it's probably not going to change unless it has to change. But we, we managed to, to basically go, like chimps are essentially quadrupeds. They have all the signs and symptoms of quadruped, quadrupenia in some ways. Um, <laughs> but like we, we, um, we, have different, we have different designs. We have a different spine. We have different hips. And we have different feet. And they're very unique to, to the human condition. But the whole point of them is that they allow you to be able to move with maximum efficiency in the heat to be able to acquire calories. And, um, and, and really with those changes came different brains as well, uh, from the long, t from like the perspective of being able to solve problems on the move. Um, and, and where we're at now is that essentially we have these, we have the gifts of evolution that came from, from need, the need to move a long distance and the need to be able to figure out where our prey would be going next when you lose sight of them and the ability to like track their hoof prints and, and imagine what they might be doing in the future. And th that, that combination of long, long distance locomotion with, uh, you know, deductive logic really sprung where we are that, that led us to be these cultural apes that are problem solvers and, um, and, and what we've done with our problem-solving brains is we've altered the environment in a way that essentially makes life more comfortable. And, and the way that we make more, life more comfortable is we reduce, we reduce every possible threat to homeostasis. Like we build indoor environments yeah. that don't challenge your thermoregulatory capabilities. Flat grounds, flat grounds, right angles. Yeah, totally. Like you do not need to kick in allostatic mechanisms to prevent you from potentially deviating from homeostasis with the modern soft environments that we've created for, for ourselves. Uh, and that's, 
that allows you to essentially on a day-to-day, moment-to-moment basis, reduce the caloric cost of living calorie by calorie by calorie, where you know it's so easy to just get through a day in our lives. It's a joke. Like you don't need there's like no hormesis. There's no threat. There's no response. You're just like a I don't know, like you're essentially a, a couch. You're, you're attached to that thing. Like you're, you, you don't, like we have no, we, we, we we're losing a lot of the robustness and the gifts of mm-hmm. our genome by not activating those things with, because there's no stress. Um, so, you know, a big part of my presentation was that stress is critical. Stress is the, the signal that allows you to let your genome blossom. And, and present you as the best version of you that could be. Um, and, and with no stress comes a really like wilted flower. Um, and, and the only way that you're ever going to really be able to solve this problem is changing the environment. And, and I'm leaving the, the literal changing of the environment to Ben House. And the way that I'm trying to change the environment is, is, is by trying to examine the movement perspective of our of our species from an archetypal perspective to the most accurate degree I can um, and and then to build out programs from that from that knowledge awareness or whatever you want to call it um, and and that's really like I think rethinking the big patterns was step one of that and and since I put that together I've really come back with I think I think my brain's working overtime in terms of solving the holes that I left from from that first one, and 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 really the direction you know last thing I'll say is the direction that I see programming have to go in mm-hmm. is not a physiological direction. Mm-hmm. It's like I spent all this time uh, looking into evolutionary information, and ev- when you do that, you're studying biology and you're studying physiology. And, and, you know, it's kind of like tying reckoning one together with reckoning two. Reckoning one was all about the brain. And a big part of reckoning one information was the book on intelligence by Jeff Hawkins. And Hawkins was studying the brain from the perspective of a computer programmer trying to come up with artificial intelligence. And, and really like with, with what Hawkins talks about is that the brain is this tangled mess of evolutionary time. And there's a lot of redundant parts of the brain. Um, and there's a, like, like a neocortex is a rational, logical problem solving animal. And, uh, it's like, fortunately, maybe unfortunately, who the hell knows this, this, this neocortex is all tied up with the functions of a limbic system and an autonomic system and these really primitive things. So if you want to have rational cognitive thoughts, it can't escape from the fact that it's going to be tied into movement, sensory information, an emotional attachment to things, all of those things are part of the package. And if you're going to design artificial intelligence, you don't need to incorporate all of those redundant and uh, tag-along pieces. You can just simply create an intelligent system that's purely intelligent. And if I'm going to be designing programs, I I, I legitimately think that all program design previously has been maybe not the Boyle thought process in some ways, but, but even that, like everything has been based on designing programs from a physiological minded perspective. Mm-hmm. And I'm at the point where I think I'm ready to throw that out because again, physiology is tied to an evolutionary uh, thought process um, where, you know, if, if I was going to compare evolution with aviation, 
Um, and I was a Boeing new aircraft design specialist, and I had to operate based on evolutionary law. I would have to include components of the Wright Brothers' first plane and every other plane that was built in the history of airplanes in my new airplane. In some way, shape, or form, those parts would have to be in there. I would just scramble them, mix them up, but they're, they're in there. Um, and, but we don't have to do that with aircraft engineering. I can simply learn from the past and then throw out the things that didn't work and start fresh every single time. Uh, I think that if we look at things from a biomechanics perspective, that we escape from the redundancy and the confusion of trying to design things from a physiological pathway. And if I'm designing things from a biomechanics standpoint, I in some ways can start fresh. And I believe that if I, as accurately as possible, appreciate the biomechanic movement archetype of the human species, that I will inevitably hit all of my major physiological birds with my biomechanic stones mm -hmm. of program design. And, um, and that's, that was really like kind of my conclusion with reckoning to it's just that like when you're thinking about biomechanics, it is kinematics and it is kinetics. And when I'm trying to divine kinematics, it is the shape of movement and the direction that those shapes move in. And when I'm talking about kinetics, it is the load of those shapes and directions. It is the velocity of those shapes and directions. And it is the duration of movement that those shapes and directions are, are, are going through. And um, if I can categorize uh, all of those things uh, in terms of qualifying shape and qualifying direction, and then I can numerically assign values for load, velocity, and duration, I should essentially, and, and if, if I understand the major patterns, I should essentially be able to holistically develop an organism or at least target the specific shapes, directions, and forces, velocities, and durations that that organism needs to be able to create for the tasks that it wants to specialize in. Um, so that's a kind of a mouthful and it's sort of like, whoa, but uh, that's kind of where I have to end and I definitely really have to end because I'm going to be late for work. Absolutely, man. You better get going. You're seven minutes over. So I've got so many questions for our next conversation. Cannot wait to fucking talk to you again. And also I'll send you a message because I have something special to send your way as well. Beautiful. All right, Davidson. All right, Robbie. You take care, brother. I actually, I, you have no idea how much I appreciate you, and I appreciate oh, our conversation. It's so, it's so mutual, my friend. Yeah. All right. Big love, brother, from across the pond. Okay. Have All a great right, day. Bye-bye.